We're in a season, Theology for Everyone, because theology is for? Theology is for? You are a theologian whether you believe it or not, whether you want to be or not. You have thoughts about your faith. You have thoughts about God. You have thoughts about what you believe. You are a theologian. And as a theologian, it is important to know what we believe, how it impacts our heart, and what we do because of it, right? We've been following uh, just a real simple, practical outline, orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthopraxy. That means, what do I believe? What is the right belief? How does that right belief impact my heart, orthopathy? And what do I do because of it? What do I practice? So what do I believe about Jesus? How does that change my heart? And what do I do because of it? What do I believe about the church? How does that impact my heart? And what do I do because of it? Okay, let me read the uh, doctrinal statement for you. Here it is. We believe that the church is people following Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus and fulfill his mission for the church. The mission of the church is to save the world by proclaiming the gospel, building up Christians to spiritual maturity, worshiping together, and living in unity. I'll read it one more time. We believe the church is, this is the most important thing, we believe the church is people following Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus and fulfill his mission for the church. The mission of the church is to save the world by proclaiming the gospel, building up Christians to spiritual maturity, worshiping together, and living in unity. Uh, I would, no, I will, I'll take some time. Let me read you the scriptures that we came to to form that doctrinal statement. Acts 2, 42 through 47, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. A couple more, 1 Peter 2, 5. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we are all to such unity of our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I've got a couple more. I believe in you. Hang with me as we read these. Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing 
and full of love. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen to me. We are a people with a mission. The church is not a building. We are not a building. We are not a hospital. We are not any of those things. The church is people. We have to, we have to make this switch. And I, I remember, that in fact, if you go through the New Testament and we read many of the verses pertaining to the structure of church, nowhere did you hear building. You can make a case clearly and easily that the presence of God dwells in no building. Old Testament, you can, with the temple, with the ark, with the tent, you can make that case. But when Jesus says, I will come and I will tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, they said this temple took 46 years to build, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. In other words, he was saying, what you go to will become what I am and what I am will become you. It's not a building. We, I remember it long ago in the old Loman Student Center. We had a college student who showed up here. And I, I love our college students, obviously, right? And sometimes they just do stupid things. And this was one of those things. He, he, had, he, had, he, had, he was barefoot on the front row, just standing there barefoot. And I, I went to and his shoes were sitting right next to him. And I said, what, I, right in the middle, I was like, hey, what are you doing? And he said, what do you mean? I'm on holy ground. I'm, I'm here at church. I'm on holy ground. You know, Moses, burning bush, holy ground. Here's where I'm at. I said, you're in the Loman Student Center. You're not, you're not on holy ground. There's nothing holy about this building. There's nothing holy about the floors. There's nothing holy about the doors. There's nothing holy about the carpet. There's nothing holy about the beautiful technology and the lights and everything else. There is nothing, zip, zero, zilch, holy about a building. The holiness of the church is in the people that make up the church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. We can gather anywhere. We can gather in any place. We can go to any space. We are the church. The church is people. And I say that and it makes sense, but then we spend so much time trying to preserve our bubble of holiness that we don't realize we're not being the church. I, I, one of my favorite things, I, I grew up playing basketball in Kansas. That's the capital of basketball, in case you didn't know, uh, greatest college basketball program face the planet basketball was invented in Kansas by James Naismith we we know basketball okay and and some of the key tenets of Kansas basketball is ruthless defense and rebound everything we know how to play defense and we know how to rebound and so we used to as kids we had the, they, they start raising you really young in it all the way through we played this game called box out it was my favorite game that we did, and what we would do is we would, we would get under the basket, and coach would, coach would have somebody start, and if you got the rebound, you stayed, and if you didn't get the rebound, you left, and another person stayed until they kept going, and coach would say, three, two, one, shot, and you had to box the other one out. It turned into full-blown fights. I'm, I am this is back when the game was actually physical. 
You know, now they call fouls for everything. I'm talking, if, it, if they weren't bleeding, you weren't fouling, and we were, we were boxing each other out, and we were trying. And then he started this new thing, right? And then he said, okay, now you can only pick it up on the second dribble. So he would shoot, it'd fall, bounce, bounce, and we were fighting, boxing each other out, doing everything we can to keep the other person from the ball. Sometimes, and this drives me crazy, I feel like as a church, we get in this place where it's like we've got to preserve our bubble of holiness. We've got to box everybody out. We've got to keep every bad thing out and only good people in. And we've got to vote right, believe right, talk right, act right to protect the very bubble that we have. Here's what I want to challenge you. Let me, let me do this. I, I found this page about 10 minutes ago backstage. Let me read you this. Um, this is something I did a long time ago in a church history class, okay? This is a sequential walkthrough of church history, and it's going to be fast, but I want you to hear this, okay? And I want you to tell me if this sounds like what Jesus calls the church. This is a quick, quick brief on church history. It says, uh, number one, Christian church in America started from a reformation in Europe. They sent missionaries over to to America. The missionaries evangelized America, known as the Great Awakening with George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. It was the Presbyterians, the Methodists, and the Baptists were born out of this Great Awakening, okay? Then came a second Great Awakening, and after the second Great Awakening was the Enlightenment period. That was the secularization of society post-World War I. World War I happens, and then it's, you know, we're enlightened people. We, we are beyond our own spiritual roots, and now we are enlightened. Liberalism became the fastest growing sector of the church. So post-World War II, a movement happened called fundamentalism. Fundamentalism was reacting to secularization and was saying, you know what? We're going back to the fundamentals We're going back to the things and the root and the basis of our faith. It was a swing back to Christian fundamentals, rejecting liberalism, rejecting secular influence, rejecting culture. The term later becomes evangelical, okay? Evangelicals are the grandchildren of fundamentalists, all right? So then it becomes evangelicals and the movement of purity, the movement of resist culture, the movement of don't be a part of that, don't listen to that, don't go near that, don't watch the news, we reject the news, get out of media, Hollywood's crazy, all of these things, and this giant removal of ourselves from culture happened. Let me ask you a question. How's that working? How's that working? We totally did in church history a removal of ourselves from culture, thinking that we were preserving our holiness and purity. And listen, there there is something to be said for preserving holiness and purity, but nowhere do I read the church should be on defense. The church is offensive. The church goes out. The church is a mission to people. It's not us closing up these doors and rejecting anyone that doesn't look like us, talk like us, act like us, or vote like us. It's not us trying to preserve our comforts in the Western society. It is us saying, I've got a mission. And where is my mission field? And I'm going to my mission field because I am called to be in culture, to evangelize culture, to make a difference in the world. 
I'm not called to protect you. I'm called to inspire you to go. To go out and be that. I was in Seattle this past week. You think Austin's crazy. Go to Seattle. And see, I, I told them when I, I preached at a church on Thursday night, one of my close friends, I love him. He's Uncle West to me. I can't wait to have him come preach. I think he's going to come next month. It, it will be a lot of fun. He's just, he's as fun as it gets. When I think of Uncle West, I think of the greatest uncle in the world. But I'm there, and I was getting ready to preach, and I, he, he introduced me and said, I'm from Texas. I said, yes, as you heard, uh, I'm from Texas, and I bring you greetings from the rest of the United States of America. We're all still there. We've heard about you out here. We, we don't know if you're still part. And we, we joked. We had fun. I preached. And afterwards, we were, we were talking about ministry. We were talking about church. And it was funny. He, he was saying, you know, post-COVID, and it was already happening before COVID, but post-COVID, uh, our culture does not care about church. They do not care about church attendance. They do not care about coming to church. And he said, finally, COVID sparked a realization that I think is incredibly helpful for us. He said, I looked at our team and I said, hey, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus is, is less concerned about refilling all of our churches and more concerned with us going out and healing our communities. So I wonder, I wonder if all of the sudden this shift that has happened and we've become so concerned about getting people in. What do you do when nobody comes in? You die or you go out. You die or you go out to the people. We have to understand we are the mission. Church is people. It's not a building. When we recognize that church is people and not a building, we can't escape the mission. It's really easy to sit in a seat and say, well, they do the evangelism. Well, the, the pastor does the preaching. Pastor does the Bible teaching. The pastor is the one who reaches the lost. The pa- no, 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 no. There, there is none of that. The pastor equips us to go out and be the church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we come together and we celebrate on Sunday the transformation that has happened. We form theology together and we worship together and strive in unity and community together. Okay. So, what do we believe? I'm just going to repeat everything I just said because I feel like we pretty well covered it. What do we believe church is? When we say this is what church is, it has no address attached to it. It has no building attached to it. Here is what we believe church is. We believe that the church is people following Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus and fulfill his mission. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Paul says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter. This is Jesus talking. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Does that sound defensive or offensive? Powers of hell will not stop what we're doing. And that's you, that's me. So if we're the church... 
and the powers of hell can't stop us, what should we be doing? The mission. The mission. And it's not in here for one hour a week. It's out there every moment of our lives. We have to come. What do we believe? Here's what we have to believe. We have to believe that the church is living, breathing, and alive. And no building is that place. That's who we are. I was in Branson, Missouri, uh, says every senior citizen ever, right? Um, it's like a senior citizen Vegas. I, look, I'm not hating. I love it. It's cool. But, uh, I mean, I am by far the youngest demographic in Branson, Missouri, right? Um, and my, my uncle had a house close to there, so we would go, and we would go to Branson. And they have this wax museum in Branson. Uh, at least they did a long time ago. And I remember walking through the wax museum, and I was looking at all these things. And it's amazing how real those things look, right? I mean, it is, like, striking how real they look. And then I saw this, this one over here, and I was like, my, there, there's just no way. And I started walking up close to it, and I was looking at it. And as I was looking at it, I was, stare, I was just thinking to myself, this is the greatest piece of art I've ever seen in my life. It looks so real. And, and as I'm thinking that, all of a sudden, the piece of art goes, boo. And it scared me half to death. It was real. It was a real person messing with people as they were in there. So there was all of these wax things, and then there's real people that were placed throughout, and it scared me to death. What do you think I did after that happened? I was on guard. I was ready to fight the next wax thing that jumped out at me, right? I was like, is that a dog or is that wax? I don't know, but I'm going to kick it if it comes at me, right? It changed the way I interacted. Here's what my hope is for us today. If you said, hey, Put it in a sentence. I hope that we realize the church is real, it is alive, it is living, it is people, and I hope it changes who we are. I hope it radically changes not only who we are, but our culture. I hope it changes our community. I hope it transforms your workplace. I hope it changes your home. I hope it changes everything of who we are. So, we believe the church is people. What does that do right here? How should that change who I am or my heart or my soul? Uh, it's, our orthopathy is this. The church is not for me. I am for the church. The church is not for me. I am for the church. I, I have been called for the church. I have been saved and joined the body of the church. And I am for the church, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. This is often used at weddings, and it, it is a wedding, it's a marriage passage, but I want you to hear the illustration that God gives. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself. As a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, instead she will be holy and without fault. What is he saying there? He's saying love your wives just as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life for the church so that the church can be holy, can be pure, can be sanctified, and represented to him as a beautiful bride. We are the bride. 
We are the bride. You guys out there are like, this guy was in Seattle too long. I'm no bride. No, we all are the bride, okay? We are the bride of Christ. And watch what happens in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice. And let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. We are the bride. We have prepared ourselves through living out the mission, walking in holiness, worshiping. We have prepared ourselves. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. There it is. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. How does it change my heart? I, I realize now that I'm the bride. And, I, I, you know, I've done a gazillion weddings. I've done over 100 weddings. And uh, I was doing one one time where a, a the groom spilt something on his jacket. Like, last minute, spilled something, and it was just, it was a huge, nasty stain. They were, it wasn't going to work in pictures. So he borrowed, I think it was like his father-in-law's suit coat or whatever. So he had this black tux, and then he had this suit coat that was like, a, it was just off. It was just a little navy or something. And he, he wore it. He wore it down the aisle. He wore it at the very front. He wore it as I did the ceremony. And then afterwards, it came time for pictures. And at pictures, he said, uh, should, I, should I just take off this coat since it doesn't match my tux? And we were all like, huh? Nobody noticed. Not even the bride. Bride didn't notice. Nobody noticed. Why? Who's the most important person at a wedding? The bride. Who's, who said the mother-in-law? You got a long road ahead of you, friend. <laughs> the most important person at a wedding in Western culture is the bride. Now, that's a really, really poor illustration for Jewish culture. So let me bring this verse into context because when I say we're the bride, you cannot be thinking you're the most important person at the ceremony. When we unite with Jesus, let me show you, in, West, in Jewish culture, the bride was often selected for the man, he, and, and they would never meet. Many of the marriages were arranged, and the parents would be involved to, to set up that arrangement, and the bride would be prepared. She would go through this beautification process, this sanctification process, this purity ritual, and they would go through all of these things to prepare this bride, and the groom, who who had all of the assets during this culture, who was the leader of the home at this time, he would be waiting and prepared. And as he was prepared, he would be awaiting the bride that they thought would be a great fit for him, right? And it was the bride's job to prepare herself to be what the groom needed. Now, when Jesus says you are the bride, he's not saying you're the star of the show. He's not saying you stand up there and music ushers you in and everybody stands to their feet and there's a flower girl and ring bearer that come before you and everyone watches in awe as the most wonderful thing comes down the aisle. I'm sure that was your wedding, but that's not the wedding we're talking about. The wedding we're talking about is our king is waiting for us and it's our job to become that pure and holy bride so that when that wedding happens, he welcomes us into his presence. That's who we are. We are the bride. 
We are the ones preparing ourselves here and out there for a wedding reunion. That's what changes our heart. Our heart change when we realize the church's people as we understand we are the bride. And we are the bride, which means we will be in this wedding before our king and he will receive us back. All right. What do I practice then? My orthopraxy. Man, if this hasn't been clear, I don't know what else is. I become the church outside of Sunday. If we believe the church is people, and we believe that I, the church isn't for me, I'm for the church, then we become the church outside of Sunday morning. John 2, 19 through 21. Jesus says, all right, Jesus replied, let me walk you through a couple of these. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken you 46 years to build this temple. Not you. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days. But Jesus, but when Jesus said this, temple, he meant his own body. Okay, so we understand. What is he saying? He's saying you no longer have to go to a place for the presence of God. I become the presence of God and I die and I will rise again as the tabernacle of his presence. Mark 15, 37 through 38. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. Verse 38, this is a crucifixion. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Understand this. The curtain was the barrier of the holy place to the most holy place. And the, the holy place was accessible by priest and offering or sacrifice, okay? So you were only able to enter into that place if you had something to offer God, to reconcile with God by way of a priest. But the most holy place where they believed the presence of God dwelled was sacred and it was cut off by a curtain and if you crossed that curtain you died there's old testament examples of this if you enter into the presence of god impure and you weren't invited in you died from it but all of a sudden when jesus died the veil is torn saying the presence of god is now accessible it's accessible to you it's accessible to me we become the presence of god in the old testament church you went to a place to worship. In the New Testament church, you become that place and you spread that worship. It's totally flip-flopped. We go from thinking we have to go to a, but yet how do we treat this place? Do we treat this as I have to go to church or I am the church and I gather together with the rest of the church and we worship together, right? The old you go, the new you are. It's who you are. 1 Corinthians 3.16, listen. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? Don't you realize you are the temple? You have the spirit. You have become his presence. What do we say? What is our mantra as a church to lead people into the presence of God? That's every day. That's who we become. People carrying the Spirit of God as the temple, housing the Spirit of God, the church outside of these walls. Look, look at this, Acts 2, 47. 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of people. This is the early church launch. The book of Acts is the launch of the early church. People empowered by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus and fulfill the mission of the church. Acts 2.47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts 5, 13 through 14. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of men and women. Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every single day. How did the church grow daily? People became the church daily. How did that? We should not grow Sunday to Sunday. We don't grow Sunday to Sunday. We grow every day. Why? Because this goes out. This go, you, you are the church Monday in your office. You are the church Tuesday night in your home. You are the church when you go to your in-law's house. Whoever's running that wedding, man, I feel bad for y'all. You're the church. We're the church. That's who we are. And we have to understand, and we we say this in our Ark Home class, we are not saved to sit. We are saved to be sent. This is your launching pad. This is not your landing spot. It's not your landing spot every Sunday. This is your launching pad every Sunday. Listen to Jesus, John 17, 18 through 19. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Remember our study, our brief study of church history. Let's run from the world. Let's close ourselves off from the world. Let's protect ourselves from everything in the world. We don't become of the world, but we become salt and light in the world. That's what we're calling. I sent you, you sent me out. I am sending you out. Go be Jesus in culture. Go be Jesus in the workplace that I am sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. In other words, we gather, we worship, we pray, we live in community, we become holy together, we preach the word, we live our lives together as the early church and then we go out from here as sent ones into the world, made holy by his truth, and we become the church. We are the church. Uh, have you guys seen these, um, these prank videos? Uh, I'm sure you college students have. I hadn't seen one until the other day. They're hilarious. What they're doing is they're, they're taking airbags and they're putting airbags in couches and they have a trigger on them, and they're hitting the trigger, and it is literally launching people out of their chairs. There was this one. You guys got it? Play, play this one. This is crazy. <laughs> Do it one more time. Do it again. Okay, one more time. One more time. <laughs> did you hear the guy who says, what did you do? <laughs> Wait, one more time. Come on. One more. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> what? 
did you do? <laughs> what had happened? Uh, here's here's the, the secret, okay? One of you have one of them under your chair right now. And I've got a button. And at the count of three, we're sending somebody to Tomball. Are you ready? <laughs> but you know what? I see that. And I, I shouldn't say this. But for some of you, I want to do that to your chair. I want to say, get out of your seat. Get out of your seat and go be the church. That's, that's what we are. We don't sit comfortably. We are launched out of these churches. Let, let me just say this. If, if the totality of your spiritual life is coming in here and sitting in a chair every week, we're not even close. We're not even close. This should be the start of your mission for the week. This should be the thing that sets you on fire for Monday. This should be the thing that launches you into Tuesday. This should be the place where your faith is built up, your courage is built up, and you're like, you know what? I am ready now to invite that coworker to coffee and share my faith with them. I know they need it. The world, does culture need Jesus or what? How is culture going to get Jesus if they don't want to come into the church? How is culture going to get Jesus if they don't want to come into the church? We become the church. Let me just pray. We're out of here.